Okay. Good morning. Over the past month, we've been looking at the Gospel of Luke, and we've been leading up to the birth of Jesus. We've heard some wonderful things. The angel Gabriel announced to Mary that her child would establish an eternal kingdom. And we've learned that through him, God's great and precious promises would be fulfilled, that he was going to accomplish his word to David and to Abraham, promises that he had given to all of the saints. We saw last week from the words of Zechariah that the sun was rising, a new day was dawning. And now all of that anticipation culminates for us in our passage this morning. And it culminates in the most unexpected of ways. The king does not come with a royal entrance, but through a humble and ordinary birth. And so it is a holy and glorious night. The extraordinary happened. The greatest of all had become the least. And not only that, the coming of the greatest of all, the king of kings, was not announced to the rich and the famous. For God sent angels to proclaim the good news to the least. He came to a small little group of shepherds. The good news is that the greatest of all became the least and that he came to the least of all. That we might know him as he was declared by the angels as Savior, Christ, and Lord. Such a simple message and a well-known story. But humanity's deepest longings are met in that little baby that was born on Christmas Day. He alone brings life and joy and peace. And indeed, eternal destinies are at stake. Those who worship the humble king will find all that they need in their God and Savior. And yet there are those who will reject him. And they will reap the consequences in eternity. Let's read the beginning of our text this morning and consider the birth of our King, the birth of our Savior. Luke chapter 2, and we'll read verses 1 through 7. Luke 2, 1 through 7. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was the governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. And he went to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, 
The time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. There you have it. We're told very simply about the birth of a child who has literally turned the course of history. And we read in verse 1 that it came to pass by the decree of the emperor that they should go uh, to their own towns to be registered. And so Mary and Joseph went. But even more than that, Scripture testifies that this took place by decree of God. For hundreds of years earlier, the prophet Micah declared in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old from ancient of days. Wow. It was God's plan that the greatest of all would come from the least of all, the least of the clans of Judah, to be born in Bethlehem, the city of David. At the right place and the right time, the King of Heavens was born. And it would be one thing if the great king of glory came to show his might and crush all who oppose him. We might expect that in the title of king. But the birth of the greatest was a humble and ordinary birth. Over the years, I think we've tended to sentimentalize the birth of Jesus a little bit. We sing wonderful songs. Uh, you know, about how the little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. We sang that today. and It's a good song, Away in a Manger. It calls us to, to trust in, in the little child, Jesus. But you know, sometimes I think we, we kind of in telling the story or in our minds, we think of it as more extraordinary that it, than it was. It's extraordinary looking back and and it's extraordinary knowing who the child was. But outwardly, this was no different than any other night or any other birth until the angels came to the shepherds. Now that was different. But truthfully, you know, we do. We, We kind of tell up the story a little bit. You know, Christmas plays have the the angry innkeeper who's like, God, there's no room, and we don't know what the innkeeper said or what it was like. What we're told is there was no room. There was no place for the king of kings. Later on, Jesus would say in his ministry, he said, there's no place for the Son of Man to lay his head. And so it was, in a way, at the very beginning when he was born. He was laid in a little manger, feeding trough. He was born in the lowest of places. And we know the wonder of it all. 
The wonderful wonder of it all is that this child was unlike any other child that was ever born or ever has been or ever will be. This is the story of how God entered the world as an infant. The creator of the universe became a man. The eternal word of God became flesh and dwelt among us as we read in John chapter 1. That's how the Apostle John introduces us to Jesus. The author of the story entered into the world that he had made. The greatest of all had become the least. And as we continue this story, we see in verses 8 through 14 that the greatest of all was proclaimed to the least. Let's read verses 8 through 14. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the fields keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for I, uh, for behold, I bring to you good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace among those on whom His favor rests. Wow. What an amazing thing. What a glorious sight. Now the angels were out doing their job, watching over the sheep at night as they always did. And shepherds were of a lower position in society. Yet it was to them, the lowly and humble of heart, that the angels came. And that night, the angels proclaimed the greatness of the baby who lay humbly in a manger. And they were told, fear not, for unto you is born this day, unto you, in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The greatest of all was made known to the least. And this is the message that they were told to him, uh, of, of him. They were told that the child was their Savior. He was Christ and that He was the Lord. Matthew's Gospel tells us that He came to save His people from their sins. And the Word of God testifies in the prophet Isaiah that we all like sheep have gone astray, having rebelled against God, deserving Having broken his law, we are deserving of punishment and guilty. And here they are told of the Savior who has come. And as Isaiah 53 will go on to say, he was pierced 
for our because of our transgressions. He was crushed because of our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. God, in his great love, sent Jesus, who willingly came to save us. He took our place. He paid the debt that we owed to God, and he won the victory in his death and resurrection. And we don't know how much of all of this the shepherds would have understood, but they knew that God was coming to save them, free them from sin and death from their enemies. Jesus is the only Savior who can free us from sin and from death, from hell, and keep us through all dangers, keep us in our time of need. There is no other Savior. The greatest became the least so that He might save us. So they're told that Jesus, this child, was their Savior. And they were told that this child was the Christ. That is, He was the Anointed One. The Promised One that would come and fulfill all the promises of God. The long-awaited hopes and dreams of God's people were about to become reality. So I'm sure that it brought to mind to them many of the precious promises of God that He would fulfill. And finally, they're told that this child would be their Lord. That to say that He was their Lord was to proclaim Him as God. To say that this is the one who is King. This is the one who deserves our worship. This humble child that was in a little a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes is the one who has the right to our lives and to our worship. So the angels proclaimed the greatness of Jesus. These wonderful truths that He is Savior, Christ, and the Lord. And they sang glory to God in the highest for these things. And on earth, peace among those on whom God's favor rests. The greatest came to the least and He was proclaimed to the least. The Savior who is Christ the Lord has come. Now to, to most of us, the things that I'm saying have become rather familiar. And I find myself, as I say these things, I talk about the Savior and Christ and Lord and these things, that it becomes something that it sort of goes through our mind and we say them or we think them. But it's become familiar. It's not new news. And so I was a little bit surprised. I heard a preacher say um, Christmas is all about First impressions. 
I thought, well, this is not our, most of us, Christmas isn't new to us, right? But what he was saying is this is Jesus' cup. He came to earth. And so we get to see here the response of the people to their Lord and Savior. And all throughout the Gospels, we see a response to who Jesus is. And we are called now, people all throughout time and history, to respond to this same God who proclaims himself to be Savior, Christ, and Lord. And so this is, this is where the message of Christmas really hits close to home. How did the people respond to Jesus? How do we respond? Do we believe that he really is Savior? We believe that it is in him the promises of God are fulfilled, that he is the, the Christ, he is Lord and King. Let's consider the final verses of our passage this morning, beginning in verse 15 through 20. 15 through 20. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went in haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it marveled at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And when the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. So we're going to consider now the response of people to Jesus' birth. The shepherds heard the angels. They saw the, the glory of God revealed in the, in the heavens. And the text tells us in verse 15, they said to one another, well, let's go and see this thing that has happened. So they believed this word. And verse 16 tells us that they hurry. It really shows that they did believe, right? They weren't like, oh, I wonder if, but they hurried. They were excited. And so in verse 17, then we read that they told people. They went to see Mary and Joseph and the baby. And then when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them and the things that they had seen and heard. You might think of them as, as the first evangelists the first people to declare the good news of Jesus Christ in a way. Now I know that the Old Testament, of course, testifies to Jesus, but they were excited. They believed the word. They saw and they told of what they had seen and heard. And we really see in this that their faith wasn't based on an outward appearance of things. I mean, think about it. 
They went to see a little baby in a manger. What proof did they have that he was the king of kings? Well, they had the proof of the words of the angel which they believed and of the testimony as they saw this child in the manger exactly as had been told to them. See, they trusted in in the word of God and and their faith was well-founded because Jesus had come. He was the humble child, king, lying in the manger. And so they proclaimed the good news and they returned to their fields praising God. How different is that from the amazement of of the many people who heard the shepherds? Verse 18 tells us the people marveled. They wondered. And I mean, who wouldn't? This is wonderful. You saw angels and they told you this? Wow. But you know, the Gospels often use that word, the marveled, wonder. And the people often marveled at Jesus, but yet many of them did not believe. See, amazement doesn't always last. Thrills tend to fade away. And we either need another thrill or another exciting thing, maybe a miracle or a a sign or something, an experience. But true faith is more than mere amazement. I don't mean to say that it doesn't involve emotions and feelings. It better. (laughs) For we're not not, uh, people that are just thinking machines. Our whole being ought to be involved in in faith and in trusting the Lord. Well, what I mean to say is that true faith is such that we accept God's word with humility. When we don't see all the signs, we don't see all the fulfillment. Abraham waited all his life, and Hebrews tells us that he was still looking for that heavenly city. It had not come, but he believed in the word of God. And he saw God's faithfulness and God confirming his promise, and God near to him and with him all throughout his life. I think of Mary, who kept the word near to her heart. She treasured them and she thought about them. If we want to be in awe and wonder again, Maybe a good place to start would be to remember, to consider, to ponder. So I, I believe that Scripture testifies after an experience of the Lord, after a wonder that we feel, one can remain in awe. One can remain secure in hope and full of thankfulness. We could be like the shepherds who praised God long after they had seen the child. They continued on. They remained praising the Lord's in those fields. And I believe 
I'm sure they had moments of doubt and difficult times in their lives, but that was something that uh, remained. And it did so because it wasn't just based on pure feeling, but on God and his word. You see, God, the greatest of all, became the least. He came to the least. And we see the humble received him in faith. Because they believed that he truly was the greatest of all. He truly was this one. The angels declared to them. Do you believe the testimony of these angels? And of the shepherds. I don't know what your first impression of Christ was like. Maybe you grew up in the church and you thought little of him or thought of him as the guy to get you out of trouble. Maybe you thought of him as boring or outdated or really he never came up in your mind at all. He's just this guy. I heard uh, somebody say, well, Jesus is just a... A swear word. And to some people, that's all he is. Maybe you did know him first when you first heard of him. You knew him as Savior and Lord and you trusted in him. Let me ask you this. What do you think of him today? What do you believe about this child in a manger? Who is really was born and lived and died. Has the wonder faded a little bit? Maybe you feel that it's grown stronger as you've pondered the good news in your heart over the years. The Apostle Peter reminds us, uh, he warns us actually that forgetting that we've been forgiven, that we've been cleansed from our former sins, forgetting about our Savior leads to a, a kind of a weak faith that lacks discipline, that lacks godly fruit. That's the passage we talked about. Roy referred to 2 Peter chapter 1. We talked about that in our Bible study. And you know, the irony of all of that is that Peter begins his letter and he writes in 2 Peter 1 verse 3, God has given us everything that we need for life and godliness. Wow. This verse reminds us that everything we need, it's offered to those who would believe in Jesus, in this child who is our Savior and King. That everything we need is given freely because Jesus, the greatest of all, became the least. He came to the least. He came for the least of these. He came for you and I. So that the least of His children might know the greatest of all, might know him himself. There is nothing better 
Nothing more important, nothing more wonderful than knowing him. One of my favorite Christmas songs asks the question, how many kings, how many kings step down from their thrones? How many can you name? How many lords have abandoned their homes? How many greats have become the least for me? How many gods have poured out their hearts to romance a world that is torn all apart? How many fathers Gave up their sons for me. How many? There's only one, isn't there? The king of kings became the least. And Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, he said, Though he was rich, though he was exalted, though he was king of kings, yet for our sake... He became poor so that we, by his poverty, might become rich. That we might have all that we need for life and godliness, that we might know him and and stand in his presence. I'm sure many of you could probably tell the story point by point from memory. But as we leave today, my prayer is that we would continue to be in awe. We would continue to be in awe because our faith is based on the wonderful word of God, this testimony that the king of kings became the least. And all that we need, whether it's life, love, joy, peace, patience, endurance, And so much more is wrapped up in the gift of Jesus Christ, the greatest of all who became the least.